Happy Easter Saturday. Uh, just glad you're here, honestly, uh, whatever day it is. And uh, you are part of all the services we're having. Everybody watching online, want to say hey to you, everybody in the room. Um, just glad we get to be together. My name's Jason. I'm the pastor here at the church. And whether this is your home church or your sometimes church or, you know, you're a guest with us, whatever it is, we're just glad that you're here. You know, you probably know this, but Easter really is kind of a big deal. For those of us who are Christians, uh, it's, it's, it's the biggest time of year for us because, um, you know, our, our hope is not just in a book or in some guy who was a teacher or like we, we, he really is a savior to those of us who are Christians. Jesus really is a savior. He is the person that we put our faith and our trust in. And this is the weekend where he rose from the dead. That's like a big deal. Uh, when somebody raises from the dead, it's happened I think once. And so uh, that's a big deal. That's something to be celebrated. It's actually twice. Lazarus did it, but Jesus had to do that. So um, yeah. So anyway, again, thanks for being here. I've been reading a biography lately um, of, uh, of a, a, a beloved pastor, um, Eugene Peterson. If you're familiar with the Message Translation Bible, he actually was the, the author of, of, of that. So he's, he's beloved. He passed away uh, recently, but uh, a, a book just came out, a biography just came out about him. I bought it, like I pre-ordered it because uh, I'm a huge fan, jumped right into it. And in there is a story that I thought was just the best way to start an Easter sermon. I think it'll strike a chord with, uh, with some of you. But when Eugene Peterson was in middle school, he, uh, his mom, uh, they lived in the mountains and his mom was a, a, a preacher, a mountain small church preacher. She was a hardcore Christian. And... Um, Eugene was getting bullied at school by this guy named Cecil and he would come home and he would tell his mom about it, about being bullied. And she was so against violence that she would just quote Bible verses to him. And this is obviously not helpful to Eugene Peterson, nothing against the Bible, but he's getting punched in the face. And so, um, one day something snapped in him and I wanted to read it to you from his words, uh, because it was just so good. But th this is what he says. He says, then it happened, totally uncalculated, totally out of character. Something snapped in me. And for just a moment, the Bible verses disappeared from my consciousness and I grabbed Cecil. And to my surprise and his, I realized that I was stronger than he was. I wrestled him to the ground, sat on his chest and pinned his arms to the ground with my knees. And I couldn't believe it. He was helpless under me. And my mercy, it was too good to be true. I hit him in the face with my fist and it felt good. And I hit him again, blood spurted from his nose. And by this time, all the other kids were cheering and egging me on, black his eyes, bust his teeth. Just, just a torrid of, of biblical invective poured out from them, he says. And I said to Cecil, say uncle, and he wouldn't say it. So I hit him again, more blood, more cheering. Now my audience was bringing the best out of me. And then my Christian training reasserted itself and I said, Say, I believe in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And he wouldn't say it, so I hit him again. More blood. I tried again. Cecil, say, I believe in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And he said it. Cecil was my first Christian convert. So years later, decades later, Eugene Peterson was back in Montana. He was preaching at a church and he told this story. And a lady came up to him after church and said, you know, Cecil, the guy you're talking about, he lives just a few blocks from here. He passed away six weeks ago and he was a faithful Christian. 
And uh, Eugene Peterson says that when he heard that, he said, I felt vindicated in my evangelistic strategies. It was the first and last time I ever punched the gospel into someone. And I read that, actually read that this week. And I thought, you know what? I bet there's a lot of people in the room uh, tonight or, or tomorrow or watching or watching this later, listening to it later, who feel a little bit like that who feel like, if you're being honest, and you're not allowed to say it out loud, really, but if you're being honest, you kind of feel like you're being forced into this. Maybe you're being forced to come to church, or maybe you're being forced into religion, or maybe you're being forced into Christianity, or, you know, like in some way, either your parents have you pinned to the ground, you know, or God has you pinned to the ground, or a mother-in-law, or, you know, a boss, or I don't know, something where... It's not that you don't want to be Christian. It's not that you want, you're not looking to be atheist. You're not looking to, you know, be a terrible person. But like, if you're being honest, you'd say, you know, it's not that I necessarily want to be all in on the Christian thing, but I, it, it does kind of feel, it feel forced on me. You don't really feel like you have any other choice. And if you feel that way, I just want to apologize because that was never the way it was supposed to be. Um, and I hate that you feel that way because Christianity is supposed to feel like freedom. That's what the Bible teaches us. That's what Jesus said, is that Christianity is supposed to feel like freedom, but we really need to hire a new PR agency because Christianity is not in any way known for freedom. As a matter of fact, it's known as the opposite. It's known as everything but free and repressive and, and close-minded and, and all of those things. And so, you know, somebody at work or somebody at school or somebody finds out you're a Christian and they're like, oh, well, that's confusing because you seem like a really likable person, right? And, and they can't put together this idea that you could be a Christian, but then also not be unhappy. And the reason that is, is because Christianity is supposed to feel like freedom. And I thought a great way to, to kind of start this message would be to ask you, does it feel that way to you? Now, I know not everybody in the room is, is a Christian, uh, and I don't want to pin you to the ground and punch you until you become one tonight. But for those of us in the room who would say, you know what, I am a Christian, whether I'm like fresh in this thing and, and the fire's burning or whether, you know, I'm a lifetime member, but I'm kind of, you know, slowly working through this thing. Would you say you feel free? Would you say, you know what, as I compare my life before Jesus to my life after Jesus, I would say one of the biggest differences, Jason, is how much freedom I feel as a Christian. Would, would, would you say that? I hope you would, but I've met enough Christians and I've been a Christian long enough to know that, that probably, probably not. And then there are some of you in the room, you're not a Christian. And the very reason that you're not a Christian is because you ran as fast as you could the first moment that you could because you are not going to let them put the Christian straitjacket on you. Christians are, are not smart enough. They're too close-minded. Politically, you don't side with anything. And you're just like, you know what? I'm not letting them put me in that box. I'm not, I'm not wearing around the T-shirt or the bracelet or, you know, I'm not doing it. I'm not belonging to that because I want to be free. And so you did, you ran. And I guess my question to you would be the same question. Do you feel free? You, you wanted to get away from Christianity because you wanted to be free and Christianity is anything, but it's not free. And so you ran, do you feel free? Did you get away from the guilt and the shame that you wanted to get away from? 
Is the anxiety and the fear gone that you felt like was being pressed on you because of religion? See, in the room tonight or whenever you're watching this, you got people who claim to be Christians and people who said, don't put that label on me. But both people would say, I don't feel free. I feel trapped or I, I, or I feel guilty or I feel condemned or I feel ashamed or I feel insecure. I do not feel free. Why is that? Why, why is it that living in a society that 24 hours a day promises every product and every club and every course so that you can be free and be yourself and don't let anybody tell you who you are. And don't let anybody limit you and be your own boss and chase your dreams and do it. You be you, be free. Why is it that living in a society and a culture that promises us so much freedom, we don't feel free? We, we've been this last month reading through this book in the New Testament called Galatians, a little six chapter book. Uh, it, it didn't start as a book, it started as a letter. And so we've just been reading this letter written by the Apostle Paul, maybe you've heard about him and He wrote this letter, wrote a lot of the letters in the New Testament, and he's writing to these Christians that have been Christians for a few years now. Christianity was very new, 15 or 20 years old. It's very new, and these people have become Christians. They didn't grow up Jewish. They didn't have this religious traditional upbringing, but they came to Christ. They became Christians, and man, they were burning fire hot for Jesus, man. And then something happened. They stopped feeling free. And so we've been studying this letter that Paul wrote and trying to figure out why it is that as Christians, we fall back into these ways that take away the freedom that God promises us that we can have. And we've learned a lot about that, but we've made it all the way to chapter four. And I wanna just read five verses to you um, tonight. And I know for many of you, you're picking up with us uh, on part five or six. I can't remember what part this is, but uh, so I don't wanna kind of recap everything, but I want to just read these five verses to you from chapter four. And, and in these five verses, there is one word. We're going to read all the words, but there's one word that defines your experience with God. If you're a Christian, this one word defines your experience with God. If you're not a Christian, this is the word that was probably the deal breaker for you. Defines your experience with God. And so let's read this together. Ephesians chapter four, verses eight, nine, 10, 11, and 12. It says this, before you Gentiles knew God, don't worry about that. It just means non-Jewish people. You could just take that out. Before you knew God, Paul's writing to these non-Jewish people. And he says, before you knew God, you were slaves to so-called gods that do not exist. So now that you know God, or should I say that God knows you, why do you want to go back again and become slave once more to this weak and useless spiritual principles of this world? You're trying to earn favor with God by observing certain days or months or seasons or years. Verse 11, he says, I fear for you. Perhaps all my hard work with you was for nothing. He was their their pastor. Dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to live as I do in freedom. Everybody say freedom. Freedom. From these things, for I have become like you, free from those laws. You know, in all all my years pastoring and walking with people, I've had people share all kinds of struggles and problems with me. I've told you about this before. People that I've never met before find out I'm a pastor and it's just like confession time. It's crazy. And, uh, but, but even so many of you in the church, you've, you've talked to me about your struggles and, and, and the things that you're working through and your problems. And I mean, honestly, I, 
I can't think of a scenario I haven't heard yet. I can't think of a story I haven't heard yet. And everybody thinks their story's the worst and it's never the worst. And all kinds of different problems, all kinds of different struggles. But I'm probably oversimplifying it a little bit, but I can say that out of all of those different problems, honestly, it's really the same problem. All these problems, really just the same problem. And I would say it like this. If I had the power, and I don't, but if I had the power to change one thing in people's lives, like if I had the power, I was like, okay, we're going to line everybody up. You're going to walk over here to me. I'm going to touch your forehead or press a button or do something. And I have the ability to make one change in your life and it will instantly change for you. If I had that kind of power, and I don't, but if I had that kind of power, I, I would not take away your addiction I wouldn't change your habits. I wouldn't remove the grudge or fill the hole where you're needing forgiveness. I wouldn't do that. If I had the power to make one change, the change that I would make is I would make you believe that God actually likes you. That, that's what I would, if I, if I had the power to change, I would just, I would, I would make you believe that God likes you. And, and some of you, as, as I say that, you're like, well, that, that seems odd because there are so many bigger problems than that. What about like world peace? You know, um, could you do something about that? Uh, I have cancer. Could you heal me? I mean, like if you had the power, like that's what you would do. That's what I would do. That's what I would do. Because I don't think there actually are bigger problems than feeling as if God doesn't like you. And I told you that in these verses was one word that defines your experience with God. It's in verse 10. I, I may have subconsciously, you know, enhanced it when I read it. Maybe you heard it or not, but it, it, it's what it says in verse 10. Paul says, you're trying to earn, there it is. You're trying to earn favor with God. It, it's that word earn. Paul says, you are trying to Get something from God. You're trying to earn favor with God. What, what does that mean? Well, at its core, it means that you're trying to make God like you. You're, you want, you desperately want God to look favorably upon you. And even if you're in the room and you're not a Christian, you don't want God to be mad at you. Because even though you'd say you've given up all those childish beliefs, you still kind of think God makes cars break down. Right? You still aren't totally convinced that cancer or depression or getting fired is not somehow connected to that thing you said to God that night when you were 14 out by the lake when you said, God, I hate you. And you're convinced that it's all still connected. And so you're like, look, I don't want to be a Christian, but I don't want God to hate me. And Paul says that you're trying to, to earn something from God. You want God to like you. And, and honestly, this is where most Christians get it, get it wrong. And I want, to show, I want to show you what I mean. In my experience, most people describe Christianity or they describe God like this. This is the wrong way, but I want to put it up on here on the screen for you so that we can walk through this together. But this is kind of the wrong formula or the wrong mindset for how people know God. First, people would say, I need to ask God to forgive me. Because I, I, I don't know a lot, but I know that I need to ask God to forgive me because my mom and dad made me do that when I was going to bed at night. And so I'm going to ask God to forgive me. And then secondly, I'm going to receive forgiveness for my sins. 
And then third, I'm going to try my best to be good for God. And then fourth, if I make it that far, if I'm good, then God will be good to me. This is how most people that I talk to view God, view Christianity, view knowing God. They say, I'm going to ask God to forgive me because I need a lot of forgiveness. I'm going to receive forgiveness because I don't know if it works this way, but I've pastors talk like he has to, so he'll forgive me. And then I'm going to try my best to be good for God. And then if I'm good, God is going to be good for me. And you may say it a little bit differently, or you may not know how to verbalize it exactly, but this is what a lot of people think Christianity is. And by the way, there's a really fancy Bible word for this. It's called works righteousness, in just case you want to know a Bible buzzword. But, but at its basic core, it's the idea that how God feels about me depends on how I act. God makes up his mind about me based on my behavior. And so this is how we think a relationship with God works. And this is how we think Christianity works. But Paul says that this is not how Christianity works. This is how the world works. This is the principles of this world. We read that in verse, verse eight, he said, so, uh, or verse nine, he says, you know, you, there were so-called gods that you were slaves to, uh, but you met Jesus and now you're returning to the principles of the world. This is what he's talking about. He's talking about this idea that if anything good would happen to you in life, you got to earn it. And man, you started learning this, I don't know, when you were old enough to comprehend, right? When you were a little kid, you you learned early that when you did something awesome, you earned your parents' attention. Or when you did something really bad, you earned your parents' attention. If you were neutral, they didn't pay attention. But if you were good or you were really bad, you earned their attention. If you were really good, you earned their praise, as long as you're not like the baby of the family. But you know, like one, two, and three, you're good, right? When you started school, you learned that hard work earned good grades and good grades earned a good reputation. When you started playing sports, you learned that the best players earned the most trophies, the most attention. When you got to middle school, you, you learned that the coolest kids earned the most friends. When you got to high school, you learned that good grades and extracurricular activities earned you entrance into college. We could keep going, right? You learned that hard work earns promotions and raises. You learned that accomplishments earn respect. And so Paul says that long before you ever became a Christian, you were a slave to performance-based rewards and relationships. Everything in your life is performance-based. Even the people who tell you it's not, you kind of don't believe them, right? Because you've seen the way that they've treated people who haven't done it right. Or maybe it's because when you look in the mirror, you, you can't love yourself based on your performance. So you're, you, there's no way somebody could love you. You know, you can't even love yourself. And what's interesting is, is that some people come to God, a lot of people actually come to God because life falls apart. And, and a lot of you, that maybe that's your story. You come to God because life falls apart, but not everybody. Some people come to God because life didn't fall apart. Life actually went amazing and they got everything that they were ever working for, but they realized when they got it, they hadn't earned what they really were searching for. And so some people did everything and it ruined their life, but some people did everything and it, and it made their life great, but they still don't feel free. 
They got the money. They got the zip code. They got the house. They, 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 they shouldn't be afraid. They shouldn't be depressed. They shouldn't be anxious. They shouldn't feel like they've got to prove anything anymore. They shouldn't. They've accomplished all those things, but they still don't feel free. And so someone comes along one day, whether your life has fallen apart or whether your life has gone fantastic, and they come along and they tell you that, that, that Jesus, he doesn't care what you've done. They tell you that Jesus loves you and he died for you and he accepts you and something happens inside of you and you believe it. And for a few days or a few weeks or for a few months, you really believe that God loves you and he doesn't just love you, he likes you. But you've got this lifelong mentality of performance-based relationships. And so at some point, days, weeks, months later, you go back to the principles of the world and you believe that if you want something good, you're gonna have to earn it. And so what we do is exactly what the Galatians did. We start trying to be good for God. Has anybody ever told you to be good for God? Have you ever told yourself, you know what? You shouldn't do that. You need to be better. You need to do better. You need to try really hard. Don't disappoint God. Don't let God down. Don't make God mad. Be good for God. And we try to be the type of person that God would like. But that's not what Christianity is. And these verses and what we're talking about is a reminder that, that you can be lost running away from God, but you can also be lost trying to get really close to God. That everybody who's lost is not out, you know, sticking a needle in their arm some way. There are a lot of lost people who are trying really hard to be good for God and they're doing awesome at their behavior, but they don't know God. And so you can be running from God or you can be trying to get close to God, but you still believe that you've got to earn it. That's not Christianity. We said last week, you can be lost at a bar or a Bible study. It doesn't matter. As long as you're trying to get really close to God, your faith is in yourself and it's not in Jesus. As long as you feel like you have to earn it, whether you realize it or not, what you're saying is, I believe in my ability to be good enough for God. But that's not Christianity. Matter of fact, Christianity is the exact opposite of that. Christianity is the acceptance that I could never believe in my own ability to be good enough for God. The message of Christianity and the good news of Jesus is that God couldn't love you more and he'll never love you less. I want you to hear that. The the message of Christianity is not be good for God. The message of Christianity is not don't let God down. The message of Christianity is that God couldn't love you more and he will never love you less. One of our favorite worship groups put out a song this last week and there's a line in the song where they're talking about how much God loves them. And there's a line in there that says, I wasn't holding you up, so there's nothing I could do to let you down. And man, the first time I heard that, I just got, I just got goosebumps again. You're not holding God up, so there's nothing you can do to let him down. He couldn't love you more, he'll never love you less. And so there are two ways to try and be a Christian. One is to try really, 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 really hard. Maybe you know that way. I do. I know that way really well. Man, you want to be a good Christian? Try really, 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 really hard. You want to be close to God? Try really, 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 really hard. 
But what you, what you find is that that way only leads to shame or pride. That way only leads to guilt or pride. You either think that you're a failure because you can't do it or you convince yourself somehow that you did do it and you look down on everybody else. You either hate yourself or you hate everybody else. And so the two ways to be a Christian, one is to try really, 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 really hard. The other way is to stop trying to be one. Stop trying to be good for God because you don't get close to God the same way you get close to your boss. You don't get close to God the same way you get close to a famous person. You don't get close to God the same way you get close to that girl or that guy that you saw in class that day and you want to get their number. That is the way of the world, as Paul would say. Those are the principles of the world, as Paul would say. Paul would say, before you knew God, you thought, you know what? If I, if I sacrifice for it, something good will happen to me. But you're a Christian now. That's not the way Christianity works. You don't get close to God the same way you get close to some rich relative who could possibly leave you an inheritance. The way you get close to those people is you put your best self forward, you try to impress them, and you try to be good enough so that somehow something good will happen to you, but that's not Christianity. That is being a slave to behavior or performance. So what's the alternative? What, what's, what's the alternative than trying really, 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 really hard? I, I've said this a couple of times during this series, but you know, the alternative is that, that you have nothing and you bring nothing to God, but most people don't have nothing. We can't come to God empty-handed. We can't come to God with nothing. We feel like we've got to bring something to God, but there is another way. There is another way. In this last verse that we read in verse 12, Paul shows us what Christianity really is and how when we really truly understand it, we can have freedom. He just says, I plead with you to live as I do in freedom from these things for I've become like you free from those laws. And in essence, what Paul is saying is, I, I don't, I, I, there's no freedom in having to earn something from God. The only freedom comes when you believe that Jesus has earned it for you. That's what he means when he says free from the laws. You know, unless you grew up Jewish or grew up fundamentalist, you know, you don't really know a lot about the Old Testament laws the way they do. But he says there were 630 you have to obeys for God in the Old Testament. But Paul, who grew up Jewish and knew all about it and, and tried his best to keep them, he finally realized that's not Christianity. I can't earn something from God. And he said, it was, it, was, it was when I finally became free from the idea that I've got to sacrifice really hard and really big in order for something good to happen to me from God that I finally found freedom. The only way you can live as a free Christian is when you are free from believing that your salvation is based on your behavior. Because Christianity is the only religion. Christianity is the only philosophy. Christianity is the only help out there that is not based on earning. It's based on receiving. If you say you want to lose weight, they'll say, well, if you'll do this, you'll get the results. If you say you want to save for retirement, they say, well, if you'll do this, you'll get the results. If you say, well, hey, I want to be a, a more patient person or I want to be more successful or I, do this and you'll earn your reward. But Christianity says you don't earn it, you receive it. You don't, you don't earn it, you receive it. 
Everything else in your life says do better, try harder, be more. Christianity just says believe. Just, just believe. You don't have to earn it. You just have to believe that it's true. It, Christianity is the difference between earn and believe. Earn and believe. You say, well, what's the difference? Well, the difference is this. If I said to you, I want to give you $1,000. I want to give you $1,000. I don't have my checkbook with me, but it's at the house. And I'm going to go home and I'm going to write you a check for $1,000. I'm going to mail it to you. What do you have to do to, re- to, to, to receive the $1,000? What do you got to do to have that money? You just have to believe me. And if you believe me, you'll go check the mailbox. See, your belief causes some type of action in your life because you believe it. And so, and so if you believe it, you go and you check the mailbox. If you don't believe me, then you, you don't go check the mailbox, right? But what if I said to you, you know what? I want, I want to give you $1,000 and all you have to do to get it is come re-landscape my front yard. Well, see, then now you're earning it. There is something that you can do in order to receive the reward. That's not Christianity. Christianity is believing that God's promise is true and that God is giving you what he says he's giving you and all you have to do is believe it. And I know that there are so many of you who are trying really, 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 really hard to be a good Christian, but all it's bringing you is shame and guilt because you can't do it. Listen, you don't get it. You don't get it. And so many of you here, you've walked away from Christianity because you were tired of having to be perfect or fake, you know, faking being perfect. And you were tired of mean people telling you to be good. And listen, if you walked away because you were tired of having to try to be good, you don't get it. Being a Christian happens the moment you realize that God sent Jesus to earn your salvation for you. Being a Christian happens the moment that you realize you can't earn it, but Jesus did earn it for you. And now you can know God and God can know you, not because you were able to be good enough, but because you believe that Jesus was good enough for you. You believe it. You actually believe that you need a savior because your faith is not in yourself anymore. You say, you know what? I can't, I finally realize that I can't be good enough. I can't overcome this myself. I'll never be able to earn and and find what I want, the deepest desires in my heart. I can't do it, but Jesus did do it and I believe it. The moment you, you, You get it. The moment the light bulb comes on, the moment you say, you know what? I've heard a hundred sermons before. You know what, Jason? I go to church every Easter and and I I know what you're saying. I've heard about, I get it. But, But there's a moment, there's something that happens with God. There's something that happens with the Holy Spirit where you go, oh, oh. Yeah, I've heard about Jesus. I've heard about the cross. I know he died for my sins. But these are not facts anymore. These are not historical events. Now, something has happened in your heart and, you, and, and you, you, you realize, I can't do it. Now you're getting it. Now you're getting it. You realize that Jesus earned it for you. And, and when you realize that you can't earn it and you just believe 
that Jesus did it for you, you begin to live in a freedom, free from the pressure of performance, free from the guilt and the shame of being a failure, free from feeling like you'll never be good enough. You live in freedom because you know that God couldn't love you more and he will never love you less. I want to end by uh, sharing a quote with you from Frederick Buechner. And this is how he described that moment for him. He would sneak in uh, to, to a church in New York City on Sunday nights smart guy, author. He was already a famous author before he became a Christian. And he would sneak into church on Sunday nights and he had heard hundreds of sermons before, but there was something that happened on this Sunday night. And this is how he described it. He said that when he finally believed that he couldn't do it and that Jesus earned it for him, he said, for reasons that I have never satisfactorily understood, the great wall of China crumbled and Atlantis rose up out of the sea. And on Madison Avenue at 73rd Street, tears leapt from my eyes. I just thought that was so beautiful. This educated, successful man sitting in the balcony of a church said, I don't know what it was about that moment and I don't know what it was about that time, but there was something that changed for me and I'd heard it before, but I finally got it. I can't do it. Jesus did it for me. And when that happened, the great wall of China around my heart collapsed and Atlantis rose up from the sea. And what would make a grown man weep? What would make a grown man weep is realizing that he doesn't have to earn it anymore that God couldn't love him any more and he will never love him any less. And so I don't know how many times you've heard this message about Jesus. I don't know how many times people have told you that God sent Jesus because he so loved the world that Jesus came as a baby and then he grew up and then he was sinless, but he died on the cross and they put him in a grave and he rose from the dead. He spent about 40 days hanging out with his disciples. He went back to heaven and he died so that you wouldn't have to. He took the punishment for your sins. And now you can have a relationship with God, not because you're good enough, but because Jesus died. And so God counts what Jesus did as what you did, even though you didn't do it, Jesus did it. I don't know how many times you've heard that, but here's my prayer. My prayer is that you would hear it tonight and somehow in some way, the Holy Spirit would help you truly believe that you can't do it. And you don't have to, because Jesus did it for you. Let's pray. God, thank you for Jesus. Thank you, God, that um, you, you don't love me based on my performance. Thank you, God, that you don't do an accounting record of my behavior to decide whether or not you love me or I can have a relationship with you. God, thank you that everything in my life is based on what Jesus Christ did on the cross. And God, I pray that you would help me break free from the, the way that I've 
lived my whole life believing that if I'll work hard enough, good things will happen. God, that's not what I have to do for you. And maybe I gotta do that for my boss and maybe I gotta do that for my family and maybe I gotta do that for my retirement account, but not you, God. Help me to really believe that you could never love me anymore and you will never love me any less. I pray for every person in the room right now who feels the great wall of China crumbling around their heart. I pray they wouldn't miss this moment. Doesn't have to be a grand gesture. Doesn't have to be a massive emotional thing, but I pray they wouldn't miss this moment to finally accept the truth that you'll never love them anymore and you'll never love them any less. In Jesus' name.